Good morning. We're going to see on this one if I can't offend everybody. All right. Uh, In the year 37 AD was born Lucius Domitius Anabarbus. At the age of 17, his uncle passed away. Uh, quite possibly after being poisoned by Lucius's mother. So at the tender age of 17, he ascended to the throne as the emperor of the greatest empire on earth, Rome. As just a teenager, he took the name Nero Claudius Caesar Augustus Germanicus, which sounds lofty, right? We know him as Nero. He probably killed his cousin a short time later uh, because his cousin was the son of the previous emperor. He wanted to make sure that his cousin wouldn't challenge him for the throne. Later on in life, he felt that his mother was interfering too much in his own business, okay, especially in his love life. She was trying to tell him who he should marry and then later who he shouldn't get a divorce from, and so he ordered his own mother executed. Uh, later in life, he found a woman he liked better than his wife, So he also had his wife executed. One army commander was executed for bad-mouthing him at a party. Another politician was exiled for writing a book that made negative comments about the Senate. He killed numerous other rivals in the ensuing years, allowing Emperor Nero to reduce opposition and consolidate his power. We think that our politicians are corrupt. Uh, We have nothing on what was going on in the Roman Empire. Okay, the most famous action in Nero's reign is that he reportedly fiddled while Rome burned. Right, while he probably didn't actually fiddle while the city burned down, many historians believe that Nero actually started the great fire of Rome that lasted for 10 days and burned over 75% of the capital city. Uh, and many believe that he did this because he was trying to clear out a space in order to build a new villa that he wanted as a vacation spot. Okay, and the fire got out of control. When his political opponents were upset about this, Nero needed a scapegoat, and so he blamed a group of people that were a little bit different from everybody else, someone he could point the finger to that nobody else would care, so he blamed the Christians for the fire in Rome. He started the persecution and torture of Christians throughout the city. Uh, He executed a lot of Christians in a lot of very ugly ways. I won't go into all the details, but it was ugly. All right, and I tell you this because while a terrible, a corrupt politician named Nero was sitting on the throne, Paul writes these words to the Christians living in Rome not long before the great persecution started. Notice Romans chapter 13. Starting in verse 1, he says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. At which point I want to say, okay, Paul, even Nero? Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. 
For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. All right, on Wednesday of this week, I made the decision to change my sermon directly as a result of what I saw on social media. Starting in the wee hours of Wednesday morning, when it became apparent that our next president would be Donald Trump, I watched people just panic and gloat and have fear and all sorts of other reactions that kind of surprised me. And so I decided to skip the end of chapter 12 of Romans and go straight on to chapter 13. Okay, we would have gotten to this passage in another week. Uh, But because of everything I saw, I decided to go ahead and do this passage this week. Honestly, I expected most of the Christians that I'm friends with on social media to have less of a reaction than what they actually had. All right, so here's where I'm at this morning. If you only listen to one part of my sermon, if you only hear one thing I say today, uh, let it be the next paragraph I'm about to tell you. All right? During the writing of the New Testament, various Caesars sat on the throne in Rome. And yet, even though these were the most powerful men on earth by far, commanded great armies, could execute people with the word, could do whatever they wanted, the New Testament barely mentions them. Why? Because in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the fulfillment of the covenant of God, in light of the good news, politics just isn't that important. When your main focus is being part of an eternal kingdom and spreading the good news of God, then the rise and fall of an earthly kingdom just isn't that big of a deal. It's just not. And so, while brutal Nero does what politicians do, instead of freaking out over the government and who's in charge for this next season, Paul encourages Christians living in Rome to submit, to pay their taxes, basically just get along. All right, I realize this is somewhat of a sensitive topic, so I've got a couple of caveats for my sermon this morning. Uh, Caveat number one. It is always apples and oranges to compare Rome to the United States. Okay, they are very different kingdoms. Okay, I know that they both live in houses with columns, but there's big differences between presidents and emperors. Right, Paul, the Roman citizen, doesn't get to vote on who the next emperor will be. Right, we exist in a form of government that encourages our participation. We have different rights, we have different expectations than the people who first read Paul's letter. I get that. I'm thankful for that. If you want to take part in the political process, if you want to try to make the world a better place by participating in politics, you are blessed enough to live in a land where you can do that. I have some Christian friends who don't even think that you should vote. I've got a really close buddy, another preacher, he says that the New Testament doesn't say anything about voting, and I think we shouldn't vote at all. Okay, I know, the New Testament also doesn't say anything about me driving my car to work, but I do that every day, right? 
We live in a different world. And because we live in a different world, you can't just blindly apply this text to us today. Okay, what we have to do is we have to ask ourselves, what are the principles that Paul lays out here, and how do I apply those principles from this text to modern-day America? Okay, because even though we live in a different world, people are the same. Okay, if you think politicians today are different than they used to be, they're not. Right? If you think human nature is different than it is in years ago, it's not. Okay, we're the same. All right, so what are the principles that Paul lays out in this text, and how do we apply those to our life? All right, here's my second caveat. All right, this is obviously not teaching that you always obey everything your government tells you to do. All right, if the government came down tomorrow and told me I had to quit preaching about Jesus, I hope that I would do the exact same thing that Peter and John do in Acts chapter 4 where they look at the government officials and they say, you know what, we serve a king that's a little bit more important than you, and that king wouldn't like it if we followed what you had to say, right? We're going to follow what God says, especially when it conflicts with what the government says, right? Just because something is legal doesn't mean that you can do it as a Christian, and just because something is illegal doesn't mean that you should violate your conscience for the sake of the government, Hey, obviously, you always follow what God says above what your government says. So, what does Paul mean in Romans chapter 13? Why isn't Paul more upset that a godless pagan is sitting on the throne? Hey, how can he say that someone as atrocious as Nero is established by God? What are the principles that we're supposed to take from this? All right. First one, I think, is don't fight the wrong fight. Okay? Don't fight the wrong fight. All right, if you notice in verse 1 of chapter 13, Paul uses the word, we translate it with the phrase, it's be subject to. Okay? Other translations translate this as the word submit. All right, this is the same word for submit that Paul uses in his other letters, talking about slaves submitting to their masters and wives submitting to their husbands and so on. All right, now, Paul isn't condoning Nero any more than he was condoning slavery. Okay, but I think his point is similar in both texts. All right? He is saying it doesn't really matter what your station in life is, and it doesn't matter who's in authority over you. Okay, everybody has a boss. Okay, some bosses are better than others. Some bosses are more helpful to you than others. But everybody has a boss, and ultimately, it doesn't matter who your boss is because everything in the world is under the domain of God. Yes, if you can peacefully help get a better emperor, do so. If you can move up on the social ladder, do so. Right? In the other letters, Paul says, if you can get out of slavery and get free, you should do it. But that is not the fight that we're fighting. That's not your main objective as a Christian. Your main goal in life is not to better your life on this earth. If your goal in life is to increase your political power, then you're fighting for the wrong kingdom. In Paul's day, there was a great deal of thought among people to rebel against the Roman Empire. Right? There were a lot of people in the world who didn't like the Caesars, and they knew there must be a better way to live. Paul was very much aware of those discussions. 
In fact, less than 15 years after writing this letter, Rome will send an army and destroy Jerusalem because Jerusalem rebelled against the empire. I honestly think that what Paul is saying is that when your focus is on political power, it's the wrong fight. Okay? The powers that we face, the problems that we face in this world are not politicians. It is not true that if we could only get the politics right, then everything in the world would suddenly become so much better. Okay, if you think, oh, if only we had candidate X in power, then they would make everything all right, okay, then you have bought into a system that cannot do anything other than disappoint you. Right, one of my favorite preachers to read and to listen to is a guy named Timothy Keller. Uh, he preaches in uh, New York City, and he's had a lot of success being really conservative, but still converting people who were not at all religiously conservative. All right, and he writes this, and I thought this quote was, was brilliant. Okay, he says, in the biblical view of things, the main problem in life is sin. And the solution, the only solution, is God and His grace. The alternative to this view is to identify something besides sin as the main problem with the world, and something besides God as the main remedy. That demonizes something that is not completely bad and makes an idol of something that cannot be the ultimate good. This accounts for the constant political cycles of overblown hopes and disillusionment for the increasingly poisonous political discourse, and for the disproportionate fear and despair when one's political party loses power. But why do we deify and demonize political causes and ideas? Reinhold Niebuhr answered that. In political idolatry, we make a god out of having power. I contend that the problem in our world is not who wields power. The problem in our world is sin. Okay, the solution is not to put somebody different in charge. All right, we can put a different politician in charge. That might make a few things better. It might make a few things worse. But it's not going to make the changes that are necessary for our world. The solution to the problem in our world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, there was another time in the history of God's people uh, when they were very upset over who was in charge of the world. Okay, the Assyrians amassed the biggest army the world had seen. They marched around. They conquered everything around them. And the, God, the people of God sitting in Jerusalem were in a panic. There is a godless pagan who is controlling the entire world. What in the world are we going to do about it? All right, hear the words of Isaiah when the Assyrians were in control. This is Isaiah chapter 40 starting in 21. He says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. Isaiah says, get some perspective. Who's really in charge? It's not the guy that's commanding the biggest army. It's the one who sits above all the earth. 
So don't buy into political solutions to worldly problems. Right? We need to keep our eyes on gospel solutions to spiritual problems. That is the real fight, and as the church, our work is the most important work in the world, and we need to make sure we're fighting the right fights. All right, number two, live in peace. All right, Paul says, pay your taxes, pay your respect, give honor. Okay, basically, Paul says, be a good citizen. All right, I'm going to get a little bit more honest right now than I probably should. Uh, I've always thought forgiveness was much easier than permission, so I'm cool with that. Um, but I'll tell you quite honestly, I don't like Donald Trump. I just don't. Okay, he says some outlandish things that are indefensible. He belittles people. He's prideful. Okay, he says that he's a Christian, but he also says that there's nothing in his life from which he needs to repent. Right? You can disagree with me on a lot of theological things, but repentance is part of what it means to be a Christian. All right? Okay, I don't like the guy. Uh, I'll even tell you, I didn't vote for him. Now, I didn't vote for her either, um, so don't read too terribly much into that. I really just didn't feel like I could vote for either one of them. Okay, but he will be my president. I'm going to keep paying my taxes. I'm going to keep voting. I'm going to keep participating in my country. If he were to show up here in a few months, even though I don't care for him too much, I would address him as Mr. President. I also commit to praying for him, just like I prayed for the past eight years for our current president. Now, don't get me wrong in all of this. I don't hear me saying something I'm not saying. I know that politics have real consequences. Sometimes politics have life or death consequences. When Nero was on the throne, there were a lot of Christians who lost their lives because of a politician. Okay, Policies affect real people. Currently, I care a whole lot about what happens to disability services. Okay, I've got a kid who needs them. Right? I care a great deal about our national security. I care a lot about our debt, which is approaching, what, $20 trillion? Okay, I care about issues of life and justice. I understand that elections have consequences because legislation affects real people. This sermon is not me throwing up my hands and saying that none of it matters at all. Okay, what I am saying is that whether our elected officials make good choices or bad choices, and whether I get my way about policy issues or not, my responsibility as a Christian is to live, as far as it depends on me, at peace, especially in peace with people who don't agree with me on all those issues. Fair enough? All right. Now I'm going to start meddling. Just in case it wasn't uncomfortable enough, right? All right, here's my meddling. If you vote Democrat because you care deeply about liberal issues such as that of poverty and you believe that the government should do more to help the hungry and the needy and those on the margins of society, if that's how you vote, then you are my brother or sister and I'm glad that we can be in Jesus' family together. Now, the easy thing for you to do is go and vote Democrat, post something on social media, either in favor of your party or attacking the right, and then sit back and think, man, I've taken a bold stand for righteousness. All right, if you vote Republican because you care deeply about conservative issues, okay, such as that of life 
in protecting the millions of children who will be killed in the name of choice, and that's how you vote, then you are my brother or sister, and I'm glad that we can be in Jesus' family together. Now, the easy thing for you to do is go vote Republican, post something in favor of your party or attacking the left on social media, sit down on your couch and think, man, I've taken a bold stand for righteousness. All right, here's where I'm at today on living at peace as a Christian. All right, if you really care about poor people, don't just go vote for some government agency to take care of poor people. What I want you to do is go work at the co-op, right? Every first Saturday of the month, we send a whole bunch of volunteers down there who get their hands dirty actually helping poor people right here. Okay, if you can't do that, bring cans. We collect them at the back of the auditorium. We collect cans, and we actually help a lot of poor people do the work we do at this church. Give to the wells that we dig in Ghana. We bring water to villages that would never see water if it wasn't for the work that this church is doing. It's easy to vote for someone else to do charity. It's much harder to be charitable. All right, if you really care about unborn children, then don't just vote against abortion. Invest in agencies like Agape who provide homes and care for children. Okay, coming up really soon, we've got our Agape Thanksgiving appeal. We're going to ask for your money, right? We're going to pass the tray an extra time and ask for you to put money in there to help children in Georgia. Okay, it's easy to vote for someone else to preserve life. It's a whole lot harder to open up your wallet and be life-giving. I am reminded with all of this of a passage in James chapter 2 where James writes this. He says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Right, you can't just vote for the cause of justice and then feel like you did something. Okay, your responsibility as a Christian living for peace is not to run out and vote in the policies of Jesus. It's to go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Spread the good news of Jesus Christ to the people around you who desperately need it. Okay, you want to make a difference in this world? Then sure, Go vote. I wish you well with that. But much more importantly, be the kingdom of Jesus. The only real solution to the world's problems is the church. It is not, nor will it ever be, the government. As soon as you start believing that the government is more powerful than the church, you've already given up the battle. Which kingdom really gets your heart and allegiance? Because you can't serve two masters. All right. I have homework for you. Uh, I even left you some room at the bottom of the front of your bulletin uh, to write down your homework. Uh, the first two of these, you only have to write one of the two down, okay, depending on how you lean politically. All right, if you're guy one, here's the first part of your homework. Don't gloat, okay? Don't gloat. The American electorate is very fickle. Uh, we will likely make a turn to the left in the future. You don't know what the future holds. Don't gloat and don't put too much stock into your guy. Number two, if your girl lost, don't fear. 
right? No politician has the power to take away the things that actually matter. Okay, Paul, in the face of his own death, which likely, by the way, was at the command of Emperor Nero. Okay, Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain. Okay, the end of Romans 13, where Paul's going to go next, what we'll talk about in a couple weeks, is that Jesus is coming back and righteousness will get the last word. In the meantime, the world is going to struggle. Okay, so why are we surprised when the world struggles? New Testament says you have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power. If you believe that, then live like it. Don't be afraid. All right, for everybody, whether your guy won or lost, be an agent of peace and reconciliation. Okay, don't demonize other people. Don't paint with such broad strokes. Don't think, well, everyone who voted the way that I didn't vote is all like X. All right, learn how to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Are we creating more peace, more reconciliation, or more division? All right, and finally, pray. Okay, our scripture reading this morning out of Timothy was about this. It says, pray for the king and all those in authority. Right, I hope and pray that each one of us prays diligently for everybody who's in any sort of political office in our country. Uh, and I hope that we pray the same for the president, no matter whether we like them or not. I hope that our prayer remains consistent, regardless of who's in power, and that we continue to pray for God's wisdom. Because again, the policies do affect real people, and we understand that. Okay, but again, my, my big plea to all of us this morning is, let's remember what kingdom we're really a part of. Let's remember what kingdom gets our true allegiance. Let's remember who's really in charge, and let's live like the kingdom of the church matters a whole lot more than the kingdoms of this world. All right, at this time, we're going to sing a few verses of an invitation song. During the singing of this song, I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. We would love to talk with you or pray with you about anything that's going on in your life. We, as a church, just want to be here for you. Before we sing that song, though, I'll speak a word of blessing over us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace.